Times podcast on Florida education issues. It's August 17th, and today a hearing took place in Leon County Court where two sides argued whether Amendment 8 belongs on the November ballot going to all Florida voters. That amendment would do three things. It would set up school board termlets, embed civics education in the state constitution, and allow the legislature the path to create a state authorizer separate from school boards for charter schools and other types of public education. The hearing was over whether that amendment, as written, was confusing, misleading, and whether it should go before the voters. Emily Mahoney and I are now going to talk to you about what they said and where things might be headed next. Well, Emily, you had the opportunity to sit in Leon County Court, Judge Cooper's courtroom, and hear a pretty interesting argument today. What was the crux of the conversation there? Yeah, well, thanks for having me again, Jeff. Um, So really the central question of the case is whether or not Amendment 8 on the ballot this November uh, clearly tells the voters what its purpose is and what its effect would be on the public education system. Uh, so the plaintiffs, uh, the League of Women Voters and the Southern Poverty Law Center uh, joining them argue that it is very misleading and in- intentionally misleading. It's unintelligible and that that it is essentially hiding the ball was also a phrase that they used a lot. Um, well, when you say that, when you say that that it's misleading, they had a couple of different arguments wrapped into that. One was that it didn't even say what it really is going to do. Could you go into that a little bit, that portion of the conversation? Sure. So there was well, there there are a few there are a few parts to that, as you said. Um, there's I, there was a wonderful quote by uh, the plaintiff's attorney Ron Meyer talking about how if you wrap a bunch of sparkly things around a pile of mud, it's still a pile of mud or something to that effect. Let me play uh, that for you right here. I have that exact great. piece right here ready to go. So we'll play that and come right back. You hit it on the head, Your Honor. When you start putting sparkly things around a pile of mud, so you distract the voter's attention, and I submit to you that's what this, this whole proposal does, Term limits, you read it in the transcript of the CRC, polls well, people like it. Whether it's a good idea or a bad idea is not before the court, but the CRC decided that would help sell this amendment. Civic education, Senator Gates, who was a commissioner on the CRC in his testimony before it, said, who could be against it? This will help pass the overall package. So they take these two disjunctive things to distract you from the unintelligible part in the middle and they, they don't highlight it in the title. They don't highlight it in the ballot summary. They simply leave the voter to guess at what's going on. Is there, That's wrong. So as you can hear him saying, he in that section, he's referring to the fact that this is a, pre, a three-pronged amendment. Um, and the first, one of the prongs deals with requiring civics education in the classroom. One deals with, uh, setting term limits on school board members. And one deals with what is in question, which is, uh, creating a pathway for the legislature to allow the state to, um, basically operate and supervise charter schools rather than the local school board. And so, 
he his argument was that uh, because civics, uh, civic literacy and term limits do poll very highly and voters in general do seem to really like those ideas, that uh, the CRC was intentionally hiding the ball uh, by adding this extra thing in there that was the least um, clear in his point of view, and people would just vote for it because they like the other two things and they didn't fully understand the third part. Um, but what you're talking about, too, is the the plaintiffs also argued that the actual effect of this amendment is unclear. And that got into a huge long discussion about what the definition of the word establish is, and I won't go down that rabbit hole too deeply. But essentially, uh, the wording of the amendment would allow the state or some other entity, but assumingly the state, to have control over schools not established by the local school board. And so what does establish mean? And and why didn't they use the word charter school if that's what they really intended to say? Um, which, you know, charter schools really is what we're talking about here. And so that was, you know, the a huge back and forth on that point. It was very interesting to me, this whole concept, because if they're talking about establishing, the, the Constitution does make clear that the state has the ability to establish institutions of higher education. And when it talks mm-hmm. about the establishment of charter schools and the establishment of of other public schools, it's it's silent on that, and and all the control and operation is get granted to the school boards. So their argument basically was that you're you're entering in a phrase established by the school board that nobody really knows what it means, and it doesn't discuss who would do that and what schools would be subject to the new rules and which ones would not. And they argued mm-hmm. that that is where the the state is unclear in, or I guess the Constitutional Revision Commission was unclear in the language. They suggested something about, you know, in trying to be clever and not discussing charter schools, they got too clever by by five and and, and went around and made an unclear amendment. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting. Um, the defense's lawyer for the state was arguing that, you know, the the whole subject of what would be covered under this law is likely to be litigated in court anyway or discussed in the legislature at length and that that is not something that should necessarily be decided in this case that um, they should allow this to go forward so that it can set a pathway for the legislature to discuss those matters and so that voters have the opportunity to decide what it does and that um, you know there is a word count with these amendments being put on the ballot so uh, their argument was that you know they did the best they could and they were efficient with their words and they laid out the you know the basic ramifications of this without going down every single possible outcome you know which is something that they disagree on um but the other thing that kept was kept being brought up by the by the state's lawyer was the fact that this amendment's purpose is to disrupt the monopoly of school board's control over uh public schools which includes charter schools and the, the word monopoly was used a lot, and that was also a word that was kind of disputed by both parties, you know, because the state does co- have certain control over schools in terms of making laws subject to, you know, curriculum, teacher evaluations, things like that. But does that really constitute, you know, power over the schools in terms of their actual day-to-day operations, which the school board has, you know, more control over that? So lots of uh, nitty-gritty <laughs> discussions today. That conversation seemed to really hang up Judge Cooper as well. He couldn't mm-hmm. seem to get his mind around the idea of 
of how a school district could be a monopoly if the state has certain powers. I do have a little piece of a conversation between him and Mr. Winship, and I'm going to play that right now. So if the state can't operate or have any operation or control of the school board, to make it monopoly power, the state can have no power to operate or control. How, well, what authority then does the state have authority to set teaching grading standards, testing standards, um, all of that that the public schools must go by? Well, where that, does the state pull that from if the counties have exclusive monopoly control? Well, that, that depends on how you construe the term operate, control, and supervise. So as you can hear, you know, the judge was even kind of concerned about this argument of whether there's a there's a monopoly going on there. And that could wind up being one of the key issues as he decides whether this case should go forward, whether this amendment should go forward onto the ballot, because he has to figure out if it's really saying what the people want. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the most interesting moments of... Uh of this hearing this morning was when Judge Cooper said, you know, look, I'm a judge. I have decided many cases related to education, and I didn't even know until this year that charter schools are considered public schools. And it wasn't exactly clear what what point he was making. I think he was just, you know, he might have just been inserting it into the conversation. But I also think it could be indicative of, you know, perhaps skepticism on his part that voters will truly understand that this relates to charter schools. Um, and, you know, the the state has made the point that the phrase charter school is not used at all in the Constitution to leave open the possibility of future, future creation of different types of schools uh, that we don't yet know what they would be. But at the end of the day, um, I thought that that was um, a really interesting moment that, you know, this judge who's clearly well read on the subject um, was a little bit unclear about that. I caught that too. And he's the judge who ruled on the House Bill 7069 case. So you know that he's Mm. been discussing things like schools of hope for for a while. And that's when he actually figured out what the charter schools are, public schools. And that made it really interesting, like you said, a, a skepticism perhaps that maybe if he doesn't get it, will everybody else get it? And then when Ron Meyer turned around and said, you know, let's face it, charter schools are only public schools because they want it for the money and it was done legislatively and now this next this proposal from his perspective is simply to strip away the oversight by the people who pay the bills the taxpayers and give a, a completely different set of the local taxpayers that is and give a different set mm-hmm. of oversight to some group that might be the state but also might be some sort of appointed board or something that has no taxpayer oversight whatsoever Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, definitely. And I think, you know, you've spoken with um, the kind of designer of this amendment, uh, Commissioner Erica Donalds, who has, I believe, told you that, you know, the CRC kind of intended to leave this open-ended so that the legislature would have the ability to craft this in the way that they see fit. But that open-endedness um, certainly has... Uh, played a major role in the plaintiff's argument, I think. Yeah, I spoke to her right after the hearing took place. She was down in Naples watching it on the Florida Channel like I was. Unlike you, you got to sit in the courtroom. But she she <laughs> said that she was really concerned that people would would try and conflate the political rhetoric with what the what the amendment actually does. And the amendment, she said, is just simply trying to set up a, 
a mechanism for the legislature to do something if they want to, and the amendment is very clear on that. It just doesn't spell out every possible scenario that the legislature might do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So definitely. So now, where does that leave us, Emily? the The judge left the courtroom saying, like, he was going to hope to rule soon. The lawyers, after after the uh, hearing was over this morning, indicated to us that it's probably most likely going to be Monday morning when we hear a final decision on at least this step of, of this case. Uh, obviously, there can always be an appeal, and it seems like there likely will be one. But uh, that's just kind of crazy because Monday is also a big deadline for the case at the Florida Supreme Court uh, that is challenging a slew of the CRC amendments, including this one, Amendment 8, challenging that they are too too log rolled. In other words, they contain too many different types of subjects in each individual amendment and um, that they, you know, needed to be separated by individual subjects. And so that could, uh, that case could eventually affect this amendment as well. So there's tons of different moving pieces. Yeah, that's true. And that case was filed by former Chief Justice Harry Lee Anstead, mm-hmm. and who was a Lawton Childs appointee and, and he was served on the court for, I think, close to 15, 20 years, and he was arguing not only the log rolling part, part, but also that the ballot was misleading, sort of like what Mr. Meyer said. He argued that, you know, it, it would he would, it would undermine the part of the Constitution that has said that Florida should have a uniform system of free public schools, and that's been in the Constitution since 1868. And it doesn't even say in the language that that is what's happening. So there's a lot of, like you said, moving pieces, and the amendments are heating up. The election is what now? Three months away? Yeah, almost. Almost. Yeah. So I guess we have a lot of eyes on the courts to see if any of these things actually land before us on the ballot. Right. And, you know, even before the election, there's a deadline in September, I believe, for uh, all of the materials that are on the ballot to kind of be settled because they're going to start printing the ballots at that time. So the clock is really uh, kind of working against all of these things. And, um, both parties, that is one thing both parties agreed on today and the judge agreed on today is that they need to resolve this ASAP, especially if there's going to be an appeal because all of these things are moving around and they all need to be settled uh, by the time they start printing the ballots. Well, Emily, I think we're going to leave it there. We'll find out on Monday, I guess, what happens next. And hopefully we'll have some more good conversations about the next steps. Thanks. Great. Well, thanks so much, Jeff. That's the end of our conversation and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate in this conversation, go to our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook, and chime right in. If you want to follow the other breaking news on Florida education issues, please visit our blog, tampabay.com slash blogs slash gradebook. Again, I'll make a short plea for you to please review and share this podcast with people so others can find it. And I want to thank you again for listening. We really appreciate your support. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Have a great day.